0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is so good to see you here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. It is just a joy to to worship with you on this Sunday. If you're visiting for the first time, welcome to EFree Church. We hope that you will experience the love of Jesus during your visit. And for those on the patio, a special hello to you out there. You are sitting out there on a beautiful day, so enjoy the service from the patio. And those who are joining us online, we always appreciate you tuning in online as well. I want to pause. I want to pray for us and ask God to to fill this place with his spirit and teach us. Father, we gather together to worship you. Thank you for being such a merciful God. Thank you, Lord, that you saved us. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And Lord, as we open your word today, as we continue our series Thank you, Lord, for your overflowing mercies. And Lord, you call us to extend your mercy to those around us. So help us to do just that as we learn from your word. Teach us, change us, transform us to be more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Mercy in Motion. Mercy in Motion. And we are in week five of our six-week series That will conclude next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And that means today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a day that we reflect on the day where Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem. And as he came in, in essence, as the people lined the streets, they saw mercy in motion right before their eyes. And so as they saw Jesus riding in on the colt of a donkey, the people lined the streets and they laid palm branches across the road. They waved those branches because their long-awaited king was making his entrance into the city. The greatest demonstration of God's mercy rode in on that Sunday. And the greatest demonstration of God's mercy would hang on the cross in less than a week this friday i invite you to gather in this worship center 7 p.m. it's going to be a special time for us as a church family to come together and reflect on the cross parents i encourage you to bring your kids come worship as a family grandparents bring your grandkids let's worship as a family and as we've been sharing throughout the last several weeks On Good Friday, we want to give many of you an opportunity to come up here on the stage and share with your church family a story, an example of how you've experienced God's mercy in your life, or how God has used you to extend his mercy to others. It's going to be a special night, and we want to make sure that we can hear your story because it's important to hear one another's stories. It's important because it tells us that God is working. He is changing lives. So I encourage you. I know it can be, you know, kind of nerve-wracking to come up in front of others. But we want to hear how God is working in your lives. So join us on Friday evening. Also, join us tomorrow morning. As Pastor Luke mentioned, tomorrow morning we kick off a week of prayer. And I know it is super early. So I'll set, like, several alarms to make sure I'm here to greet you. And so... If you can, if your schedule allows, and if your body schedule allows, come and pray with us tomorrow morning. We'll be here from Monday to Thursday. And this week, what we're going to do is this as we look ahead to uh, Easter weekend, we're going to reflect on the events each day of Holy Week, of Passion Week. We often hear the word the Passion of Christ, and we hear Passion Week. Passion refers to suffering so this was a week of suffering as jesus made his way to the cross and so come join us tomorrow morning pray for our church pray for our community we look forward to seeing many of you here starting tomorrow morning this morning i want to begin our time in the book of matthew chapter 5 verse 7 we're just going to read one verse in matthew 5 to get us started to lay the foundation for today's message. So I invite you to turn to Matthew 5, verse 7. In chapter 5, verse 7, this is what we read. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We'll stop right there. What we have here is a section in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is described in Matthew, starting in chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 7. And in this sermon that Jesus is preaching on this mountainside, he addresses those who have made a commitment to follow him. That's very important for us to know. He's addressing those who have put their faith in him. And he's describing to them what it looks like to be a citizen within the kingdom of God. And so this included his immediate disciples. It also included all the multitudes who had made a decision to follow him, to put their faith in him. And what we have in the Sermon on the Mount is the highest standard for followers of Jesus Christ. It's the highest standard they will ever face in their life. Far more difficult than the standards set by the religious leaders of that day. Specifically, the Pharisees. And it's important to know, again, that these people on the mountainside, they had made a decision to follow Jesus. And if we look at the kinds of people who were there on the mountainside listening to this sermon, many might be surprised. Because if the religious leaders of the day were to draw up the ideal follower of Jesus, that picture would look almost the opposite of the kinds of people who were there on the mountainside. Many of these people were considered outcasts, like social rejects, those on the fringe. And so it's important for us to know that these people who made a decision to follow Jesus... They were there listening to their Savior. And we just read, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You might remember at the beginning of our series, we defined mercy. We hear the word mercy all throughout our society, but it's important for us to have a biblical understanding of mercy. And we said this. We said that mercy can be defined as compassionate treatment of those in need. And then we gave you two categories of people in need. We said, of those in need of being forgiven, and then also of being rescued. So compassionate treatment of those in need of, one, being forgiven, and or, two, being rescued. At times, you and I need God's mercy. I need God's mercy every day because if I sin against him, if I sin against somebody else, we need his mercies. And thankfully, his mercies are new every morning. He has new forgiveness for new sins. He knows that I'm going to sin that day. So he has a mercy ready for me. And there are also times where we need mercy not because of a sin, but because we're going through something very difficult in life. A trial praise god that he has new strength for new trials of that day and so mercy is compassionate treatment of those in need of being forgiven and or of being rescued and last week we focused much of our attention on the area of forgiveness how we can extend mercy to those who have wronged us today we're going to focus much of our time on how to extend mercy to those in need, those who are facing some type of difficulty, not due to sin, but due to some trial, some difficulty in their life. And let's face it, it's much easier to show kindness to people who are like us, who look like us, who dress like us, who talk like us, who live like us, and who like us. (laughs) You know, for me, it's really easy for me to be kind to people who are kind to me. I love being kind back to people who are kind to me. It is so hard to show kindness to those who are not kind to us. And so when we think about showing kindness... In scripture, oftentimes we are called to show mercy to those who are very different than we are. And so, as we think about this subject, about being compassionate and treating those with compassion, those who are in need of being rescued, I want to take you to a passage in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. And we'll describe a path, we'll describe A scene where a person is called to show compassion to those who are not like him, who are very different than him. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. I'll read to you verses 30 to 32. Luke 10, verse 30 says this. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, what we've just read is the beginning of Jesus' answer to a question that was posed to him by a lawyer in the Jewish community. And the lawyer said to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in his brilliant way, as he often did, Jesus answered that question with a question. I love the way that Jesus would often answer a question with his own question And so he said, Well, what is written in the law? I mean, you're a lawyer, you know. So, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, And many of you know, love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus said, You have answered correctly. Go and do this, and you will live. Now, At this point, the lawyer is thinking about all the traditions that he grew up and all the laws that he grew up following. You see this lawyer? Because he loved the law, he grew up trying his best to obey the law. But what he failed to understand was that he could never earn favor with God simply by trying to keep the law. In fact, it was impossible for him to keep the law. Do you know why? Because when the Old Testament law was given, the reality was the law was never meant to save a person. In fact, the law just condemned a person. Jesus is the only one who ever kept the law perfectly. Every one of us has failed. And so the law in the Old Testament, it did not save a person. But the lawyer, he's thinking, well, I want to obey the law. I'm a lawyer. I love the law. So he's trying to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I want to really obey the law. And I want to stick to the letter of the law. So tell me, who is my neighbor? And that gives Jesus the opportunity to share this parable that we know as the good Samaritan. For those of you who were here last week, you might remember that we said Jesus often spoke in parables. And a parable is simply a story that Jesus would share. He would literally throw a story, or I should say figuratively throw a story alongside, para, alongside. He would throw a story alongside a teaching to provide a vision of life in God's kingdom, in the community of God. And oftentimes when Jesus spoke in parables, the listeners, they would get caught. They would expect one thing, and they'd hear just the opposite. Last week, remember Peter? He got caught. Peter approached Jesus and said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And he doesn't even give Jesus a chance to answer. He says, I've got the answer, Jesus. It's seven times. I'm going to forgive somebody seven times. And the reason why Peter said seven is because, well, the standard practice was three times, right? If you forgive somebody once, twice, three times, three's enough. After three times, if they haven't learned the lesson, shame on them, right? So that was a standard practice. So Peter said, I'm going to be overly generous and forgive somebody more than double, seven times. And of course, we learned last week that Jesus said, no, no, Peter, the number is infinitely more than what you think. And so Peter got caught. Well, here in Luke chapter 10, the lawyer is about to get caught. We've already read that a man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, a very dangerous road. It provided many opportunities for thieves to rob travelers, beat them up, and leave them for dead. So the first person to walk by sees this dying Jewish man and decides to walk on the other side. This was a religious leader, a priest. He walked by on the other side. The second person, another religious leader, a Levite, sees the man dying, says, you know what? I'm going to walk by on the other side. Now, why would they do that? In their own minds, they were justified in walking on the other side because at that time if they had come into contact with this dying man it would have made them ceremonially unclean so in their mind they're thinking i'm justified i don't want to be defiled so i'm going to walk by on the other side they didn't even risk walking by the dying man and not touching him because even if their shadow touched the dying man. The thought was that would have made them unclean and unfit to perform their ceremonial duties. So, in their minds, they're like, this is justified. It's okay for me not to help. Somebody else will help. Now, picture this you're the lawyer listening to Jesus tell, tell this parable. And as Jesus is saying this parable, the lawyer, he's getting upset at these two religious leaders. How dare they? How could they not help their fellow countrymen who is dying on the street? And as Jesus is getting ready to talk about the third person, the lawyer starts feeling good about himself because he's thinking these religious men, they did not help. But he's getting ready for Jesus to say that the third person to come along to help was an Israelite layman, a professional, perhaps a lawyer. And just as he's getting ready to be congratulated, he gets caught. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You have to understand, to hear that it was a Samaritan who helped out this dying Jewish man, it absolutely devastated this lawyer. It was the worst possible thing he could have heard. Why? Because Jews and Samaritans, they were enemies. They despised each other as groups. There was constant ethnic and cultural conflict between these two groups. And for this Jewish lawyer to hear that it was an outsider, the enemy, who came to the rescue of this Jewish man, it absolutely devastated him. As we look at this parable, do you know what Jesus is calling us to do today? Here in the 21st century, here in Diamond Bar? Do you know what he's calling us to do? He's saying, Ephraim Church, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. He's calling us to come to the aid of our neighbor. Now, this is about the time in the message where people often ask, well, then who is my neighbor? And they often ask the question, well, you know what? How can we possibly help everyone in need? Those are legitimate questions, right? How, how can we help everybody? There are many, many needs out there. So, so who are we to help? Who are we to help? Well, thankfully, the Bible addresses that question. I invite you to turn to James chapter 1. Toward the end of the New Testament, go to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And we'll look at some practical answers to that question. Who is our neighbor? Who are we supposed to help? James 1, verses 26 and 27. As you make your way there, I want to set the context of the book of James. The book of James is probably one of the, if not the best resources to keep followers of Jesus accountable to our faith. Why do I say that? Because the book of James is a very short book, only five chapters. And in those five chapters, there are a total of 108 verses. That's it, 108 verses. And in those five chapters, there are no fewer than 60 commands to live out your faith. That's more than one for every two verses. So, this is the best accountability resource to live out our faith. So, James chapter 1, verse 26 says this Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And the religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In this passage, James contrasts pure religion and hypocritical religion. Pure religion and hypocritical religion. And he gives us a sobering reminder that the hypocrisy of one's religion is often exposed by the tongue. The hypocrisy of one's religion is often exposed by the tongue. In other words, our righteousness or lack thereof is often determined by how well we can control the tongue. You see, you and I can come to church every Sunday We can study the Bible every week. We can gather with our groups. We can look into scripture, pray for each other, go to retreats and conferences. But if we can't bridle the tongue, James says, your religion is worthless. He does not mince words. We can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if we cannot bridle the tongue... It renders our religion worthless. One author says this, discretion in speech is better than fluency of speech. I like that. Discretion in speech is better than fluency of speech. In in other words, true spirituality is not how well we can articulate something. The true test of spirituality is how well we can bridle the tongue. And what I find so fascinating about this passage is this. In this same passage, in these two verses, James connects two very specific ways to carry out a pure religion. He says, bridle the tongue. And then right afterward, in the next verse, he tells us, look after orphans and widows. Of all the people that he could have chosen, he specified orphans and widows. Here's what James is saying pure religion is a compassionate religion. And he chose two of the most neglected groups at that time, two of the most powerless groups, orphans and widows. That's why these two groups, they they held a special place in God's heart. Orphans and widows, they they occupy a special place in God's redemptive plan. If you were to survey the entire Old Testament, you would come to verse after verse after verse that speak about just these two groups, orphans and widows. I want to just give you three examples in the Old Testament. You can follow along up here. Three passages. In Exodus 22... Verses 22 and 23 says this, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. I mean, that's God talking. Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. In Psalm 82, 3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Here's the message for today. If you remember nothing else from today's message, remember this main idea. For those taking notes, just write this down. If you remember nothing else, this is the message. A pure and faultless religion extends god's mercy to the vulnerable that's the message a pure and faultless religion extends god's mercy to the vulnerable in james's day it included the orphans and widows he was giving specific examples but there are many other groups that are considered vulnerable. In James's day, he was pointing specifically to those who were being neglected. So how about for us today? Who are the vulnerable? Well, they include the orphans. They include the widows. They include the hungry, the unhoused, The refugee, the abused, the elderly, the displaced, the migrant, and so many others who are in a vulnerable place. James was calling the church not only to feel bad about a situation, but to act on it. You see, it's not enough to feel bad. Pure religion does something about it. So what can we do? How can we, e Church, extend mercy to those who are vulnerable? Well, we do it by putting mercy in motion. And this is where we're going to get very practical. Are you familiar with the uh, phrase, use it or lose it? Use it or lose it. Basically, that, that, that means that in order to be proficient and stay proficient at something, you have to practice it regularly. If you don't move, it's gonna be harder to move. If you don't exercise, it's gonna be harder to exercise. The less we exercise, the harder it's gonna to be to exercise. But if we include movement into the daily rhythms of our lives, guess what happens? It becomes a habit. It becomes routine. It becomes a discipline. so, if you were to incorporate some movement or exercise into your daily life, the one thing you don't have to ask yourself when you wake up is this. Hmm, should I exercise today? You won't ever have to ask yourself that question. Because if it's part of your discipline, you just wake up and you move. You exercise. You Use it so that you don't lose it. Guess what? The same holds true and is far more important for our spiritual lives. A few weeks ago, we talked about the mercy muscle. Do you remember that? The mercy muscle. In order to grow your mercy muscle, you have to exercise it. For those of us who are not naturally gifted in extending mercy, I have a guarantee Here's my money back guarantee. Okay? If it doesn't work, you get your money back. The more we extend mercy, the more merciful we'll become. That's my guarantee. If you want to know how to become a merciful person, demonstrate mercy. The defeatist mentality says that's not my gift go to so and so that's that person's gift. If we want to grow in mercy, we exercise mercy. Cuz the more we exercise our mercy muscle, the greater, the bigger our mercy muscle will be. So, we as a church, we want mercy hypertrophy, not mercy atrophy. Those are big words, but hypertrophy is growth. Atrophy is decreasing of muscle. We want mercy hypertrophy. So, in our few minutes remaining, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four practical resources to help put mercy in motion. Four very practical resources. And I'm going to share them in the form of websites. I'm just going to give you websites. And it will be on you to visit these websites and learn how you can grow your mercy muscle. Now, I understand that there are many organizations worldwide doing great work in the area of mercy. Many, many, far too many for me to mention in our time today. And I don't want to overwhelm you all. I don't want to bombard you with like 30 or 40 websites. So I'm just going to give you four websites. And the reason why I chose these four is because in one way or another, our church is directly involved with We are the actual owner of, or we have partnered with in some way or another. Okay, so four very practical ways for us to get involved in mercy ministry. First, I'm gonna start with eFree Church. (laughs) And specifically, I encourage you to go to our web pages efreedb.org slash life to visit our life groups and efreedb.org slash care basically these two links will give you all the groups that we are involved with, some right here from within our church, others that we have partnered with, some that are national that we partnered with In one way or another, all these groups extend mercy in a practical way. For those of you who have been through Rooted, for those of you who are part of a life group, maybe you've gone and done a serve project before. You've gone out into the community and you've served. You've shown mercy. Life groups, if it's been a while since you've done that, can I encourage you, build that into your rhythms so that every year you are participating in a serve experience together. Again, because the more we extend mercy, the more merciful we'll become. It's great when you get together with your life groups, and you sit together, and you share, and you learn scripture, and you pray. That's great. But that's not all that God wants us to do. There are times where, as a group, we need to go out and serve and extend mercy. So life group leaders, I encourage you, incorporate mercy into the regular rhythms of your ministry. And if you go to our care and support groups, you'll see many, many groups that our church is part of, that we've created, that we're involved with, for you to extend mercy. The second website, His Mercy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, His Refuge. Apologize. His Refuge. His A few weeks ago, during our uh, this few months ago, during our missions month, Tom and Gail shook, they shared about this ministry. They founded this ministry down in Orange County. And this ministry provides aid to those who are displaced. Visit the website find out how you can get involved in a very tangible way. Hisrefuge.org The third website belongs to God's Pantry. G-O-D-S dash pantry.org Many of you have served at God's Pantry. Many of our groups have served at God's Pantry. It's local, right here, just a few miles away. If you go to their website, you can find ways for you to serve. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your life groups. This is a tangible way for you to extend mercy. When you go and when you help provide food to the needy, you can also help provide prayer and assistance. God's pantry. The fourth that I'm going to share is a worldwide global organization, World Vision. I appreciate what World Vision is doing worldvision.org. If you have not ever visited their website, would you do me a favor? Go and visit the website. Just browse around it and you will see the kind of work that they are doing globally. And they do a great job of defining all the vulnerable. They've defined all these groups, the displaced, those who are stateless, migrants, those seeking asylum, immigrants, and on and on. So they've done a wonderful job of structuring this for us. And so our groups, if you want a wonderful organization to partner with World Vision. I know that our groups have done so much to partner with Mercy Ministries. Our church has been blessed. God has blessed our church with merciful people. So I thank you. And again, as I said earlier on, this Friday, would you come up here? I invite you to come up and share a story of God's mercy in your life or how God has used you to extend mercy to somebody else. It's not enough for us to feel bad about those in need. Let's do something. You know, the point of this six-week series was not to hear six weeks' worth of mercy sermons and then move on to the next series. But I am excited about the next series. And I'll give you a very brief preview the week after Easter, so two weeks from today, we'll start a new series called The Church. Nature, Purpose, Function. It's going to be exciting. We're going to dive deep into the Word of God to see what the church is all about, what our purpose is, and how we as a church can function. And it's going to be, I think, a deep series for us to be challenged in many ways, to talk about what the church is, your involvement here, and God's call to you. But God has blessed our church with kind and generous and compassionate people. So this week, would you consider, in light of Easter, how can you extend God's mercy in a very tangible way?